From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Friday edition, I'll be joined by Meg Kilgannon, our our senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council. She'll be in studios. We take a look at the issues in education that continue to be at a boiling point across the country. In fact, yesterday, in advance of another meeting of the Fairfax County School Board, the head of the Fairfax NAACP was calling for the death of those who oppose critical race theory and other left-wing priorities. We're going to talk about it. And then there was Joy Behar on The View saying teens should be able to get vaccinated and get abortions regardless of what their parents think. These kids are at the mercy of these ignorant parents, in my opinion. And yes, they should be allowed to do it. Well, you want to talk ignorant? We can talk about that. But we'll talk uh, about this assault on parental rights with Mary Holland, president and general counsel of Children's Health Defense. Of course, it doesn't stop there as the left has accelerated their efforts with unbelievable sex education programs being taught in America's classrooms. What do you need to be looking for when your children return to the classroom? And what can you do, not only for your children, but for all of the children that are captive to these government schools? We'll get some insights from Sharon Slater, president of Family Watch International. And finally, it has been a busy week here in Washington, D.C. FRC's vice president of policy and government affairs, Travis Weber, We'll be here with a wrap-up of what you need to know from this week, and more importantly, what you need to do with what you know. That's coming up on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on the free speech platform of uh, Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. All right, let me bring in my co-host for today, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at FRC. Meg, Welcome. It is so nice to be here, Tony. Good to have a co-pilot today, um, and especially on this issue. I mean, this is your issue of education. You're our resident expert. You were in the Trump administration in the Department of Education. I was. I was in the department, the uh, director of the office for um, faith and opportunity initiatives. And in that role, I was able to look at everything because people of faith are concerned about all the issues and, and that's what people need to understand throughout the trump administration those offices were established and they were uh because I, I worked with the, the the white house and in fact a number of our people ended up in the administration in these spots that were looking out for policies that uh would be in conflict with the values of you know, the, the vast majority of Americans, in particular of uh, evangelical voters. Yes, I was so pleased when I got to the department to discover the work that had been done in the previous three years to advance religious liberty um, and to, to really pay attention to the concerns that people have about opportunities for religious expression in schools and so many, many things, access to campus for, for religious groups on college campuses and, and uh, high school campuses. It was really uh, a really wonderful group of people there who were very committed to religious So they've, they've obviously changed the title and the door of the office you had to now <laughs> the director of attacks on religious freedom well. and values because this week the Biden administration, the Department of Education, directing schools to set up vaccination stations on site. Right. Now this is, uh, and, and we're going to talk about this a little bit uh, later in the next segment because uh, D.C. actually is doing this. But there's there's jurisdictions across the country, Massachusetts, announcing they're pursuing a, a broadening of their vaccine program for children of all vaccines, not specifically the COVID, but doing this in spite of parental concerns or even opposition. Right. Well, you know, you have children at school and you have school officials at school, but who's not at school? The parents are not at school. So when you're delivering a service like vaccines to uh, children on campuses, this is a very dangerous situation that it's easy to imagine how children who were not given permission by their parents to receive a shot might receive one. Um, there'd be tremendous pressure on kids socially to either receive or not receive a shot. I mean, this is not a healthy environment in which right. to make medical decisions. Well, not, not to mention the fear-mongering that's been going yes. on in the media, social media, and by government. In fact, uh, this week, uh, the, uh, the Surgeon General 
issuing statements about the concern about not having vaccinations and how we need to increase this because of the threats. And I mean, of course, the media is so eager uh, to stoke those flames of fear. And so right. kids, we've seen this. We've seen the, the psychological issues with kids during the, the shutdown and this, uh, this constant fear mongering. So, you know, hey, this is the answer, as they tell us, to get this <laughs> vaccine and all of life is going to be good and you won't have to worry about anything, then, I mean, the kids are going to jump in line. Exactly, especially if they're enforcing a mask mandate on children who haven't had the vaccine. That's going to really, kids hate wearing those masks. Right. And, uh, you know, as anyone, you know, can imagine. So the the, the situation is really, um, it is really very fluid. Um, the secretary, Secretary Card Cardona, went so far as to assure people and his dear colleague that they, they could use their COVID funds to open up these vaccine sites um, in the schools, so money would not be a barrier. He encouraged them to offer, you know, sort of bribes, uh, scholarship opportunities, prizes, these kinds of things to entice children to become vaccinated, and um, this is just not. A, a, a healthy way to make medical decisions, right? Well, Meg, let me, let me uh, from a parental standpoint, my kids are not in the public schools. We've homeschooled our kids, and I encourage parents to look at other options because the schools have become yes. a, a war zone of values, and your kids are the targets. But if, let's say, let's, all right, COVID-19, all right, there's this threat, and so we're going to do this. We're going to set up these vaccination stations, and you know what, kids, you, you need this. You know, doesn't, doesn't know, doesn't matter what your parents think. There's nothing that keeps this to being limited just to COVID. Correct, correct. What other kind of healthcare services might be delivered in these vaccines? They start out as vaccine sites, right? And then you end up with a full, full on school-based health clinic um, in the end, which can deliver all kinds of services. And given the fact that uh, we're going to hear from, you know, Sharon Slater in the C block about uh, comprehensive sexuality education, the push for um, gender identity rights and the medicalization of gender identity. Um, these are really concerning the, the access to contraceptives, access potentially to abortion or abortifacient drugs. This is not something we should be taking lightly. Is there a chance that these uh, vaccines become mandatory for kids to attend these government schools? I, I think that you have sort of that de facto situation right now. Um, the, the, teacher, the teachers union um, refused to go back to school until the, the vaccine was available to them. But in Fairfax County, they said from the very beginning of the pandemic that they, those, their teachers union said that they were not going back to school until all the teachers were vaccinated and all the students were vaccinated. Yeah. So you, it's a if you look at the maps of, of where kids are getting vaccinated and what vaccinated and what schools have these programs, it's a very um, you know blue red divide. You, you mentioned Fairfax County. There was a, a school board meeting there last night, and before that, there was a rally outside. And I have a clip that I want to play from the local NAACP uh, president uh, who spoke at this rally outside of uh, the uh, the school board. Play, let's play that clip. Let's prepare our children for a world they deserve. Let's deny this off-key band of people that are anti-education, anti-teacher, anti-equity, anti-history, anti-racial reckoning, anti-opportunities, anti-health people, anti-diversity, anti-platform, anti-science, anti-change agent, anti-social justice, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, Meg, it's a little hard to hear from that audio, but uh, there was this rant of uh, anybody against any of the leftist priorities, right, right. let them die. Let, yes, it was preceded by, if you were anti-inclusion, anti-live and let live people, let them die. 
Yeah. So this is pretty. Um, this is pretty typical antics for Fairfax County School Board. Uh, meeting, Michelle, Le leader of the NAACP for the Fairfax chapter, of course, pushing critical race theory. What happened at the board meeting last night? Um, the all the fireworks were outside the board meeting. They elected their their officers and um, conducted the regular business. The the that clip that you saw was pretty much the highlight of the evening. But there was a good news story in Virginia last night in Russell County where that school board voted to um, reject critical race theory, unanimously voted to reject critical race theory, and they voted to not adopt the transgender policy that's coming down from the State Board of Education in Virginia. So we have the, the, the good and the bad to talk about today. So well, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about that good. What was behind it? How, how the, did we arrive at that outcome? We have a wonderful organization in Virginia called the Virginia Family Foundation, and they did a lot of work helping to spread the word about this meeting. Uh, generally speaking, all you have to do is let good people know what's going on, and parents will rise up and demand what's best for children. So, so this is another example when parents get involved, yes. they're informed, and they show up and take the, the time uh, to express themselves. We, we, we can change we the outcome. absolutely can make a difference. We absolutely can. Um, th it, th the situation in, in, you know, in certain areas, maybe we won't have the numbers to make to make it come completely our way but it is always important to express these views to provide a counter vision for these issues um, to to uphold the family and and to let people know that that there is another opinion and that there are other ways to do things going back to this uh, mask and the vaccine mandate uh, that potential mandate, but we see this move toward this with uh, jurisdictions expanding uh, vaccination sites, doing it on schools without parental authority. How can parents push back on this? Well, I, I think it's really, really important for you to not uh, think to yourself, oh, surely they won't do that in my county. We, we live in a great place. We live with conservative people in our neighbor, and our, our neighbors are our church friends, and, and this is not going to happen where I live. You absolutely must, must investigate what's going on at your school. There are plenty of red states with great governors who've lifted these mandates, but the little blue school boards in those red states right. are continuing this sort of policy. And so it really is up to us to make our voices heard, and people will respond. Yeah, and, and again, uh, parents, I remind you that God has given you and I as parents the responsibility and the authority to educate to train up our children and we can delegate the authority we can we can delegate that to a to a government school to a private school but we cannot delegate the responsibility god will ultimately hold us responsible all right we're going to continue our conversation meg kilgannon my co-host today we're going to be talking with mary holland of Christ of children's health defense next about a lawsuit against the district of columbia right here in our nation's capital trying to vaccinate children without telling their parents it's happening here in our nation's capital you want to hear about it don't go away we're coming back with more washington watch right on the other side of this break Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently, we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God who speaks 
is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association, which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Are you listening? Have you said this to your children? Not listening is one major cause of conflict in any relationship. We tend to hear what we want to hear and sometimes even alter what was originally said to fit our needs. Listen to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Hearing is one thing, listening is another. Listening requires using more of the ears and less of the mouth. In other words, listen, then speak. The best place to practice listening is to listen when God speaks. One way He speaks is through His Word. Share your favorite Bible verse with your family, then ask each family member to find a verse that they would like to memorize and help them achieve this task. Remember, listening is the key to learning. Learn more at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman with the American Family Association and American Family Radio. Hey, we're having a retreat this fall. In fact, October 3rd through the 6th, we're going to be gathering at the Purcell Farms, just about 45 minutes southeast of Birmingham, Alabama. It's in the mountains, and we're going to have a wonderful time, and we'd love for you to join us. Our speakers will be Sandy Rios, Abe Hamilton, Ray Pritchard, Bert Harper. I'm going to be there along with a lot of the AFA and AFR team. So it's going to be a wonderful time of refreshment and fellowship. And we're just going to have a lot of fun. There's so many great things to do there on the campus of the Purcell Farm. So if you'd like to join us for this very special retreat, just go to afaretreat.net. afaretreat.net. We've only got a few rooms left, in fact afaretreat.net and we hope to see you there this fall. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, along with Meg Kilgannon, our co-host today. Uh, On Monday, Parental Rights Foundation and Children's Health Defense filed a lawsuit against Washington, D.C., arguing that a 2020 law permitting minors to obtain vaccinations without parental consent is unconstitutional. The D.C. Minor Consent for Vaccinations Amendment Act of 2020 allows minors 11 years and up to consent to vaccines, including the COVID shot, without parental knowledge or consent. If the health care provider believes the minority is capable of meeting the informed consent standard. Wow. Well, joining us to talk about this is Mary Holland, president and general counsel of Children's Health Defense. She is also the co-author and co-editor of the books Vaccine Epidemic and the HPV Vaccine on Trial, Seeking Justice for a Generation Betrayed. Mary, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me. Mary, can you tell us about what prompted you to file the lawsuit? So this is a very dangerous law that the Washington, D.C. City Council passed, and Congress did not override it. So we were sort of watching this process. This is potentially precedent-setting. The pharmaceutical industry had tried this in many states, but they have bicameral legislatures, and they did not succeed because Aaron supposed it. But in D.C., with only a unicameral legislature, they were able to get this through. This is so dangerous for children because parents won't know what vaccines their children get. It goes beyond just the parents don't know. This is active concealment required by this law. So the parents who filed religious exemptions will not know that their children got vaccines, whether it's the human papillomas virus vaccine or whether it's COVID shot or whether it's a meningitis shot, the kids allegedly can consent to any federally recommended vaccine on their own, and the parents won't even find out about it from their uh, health insurer. It will be concealed from the parents. The school will have access to this information, and the healthcare practitioner, but the healthcare practitioner and the school are disabled from giving that information to the parents. This is unconstitutional. It also violates the federal statute that's put in place 
the vaccine program that we have today. So we strongly oppose it. We, we believe that we will prevail on this. We have four uh, parents on behalf of their children who are enrolled in the DC public school system. And uh, we think that we, we feel that this is an incredibly important law to challenge because it is so potentially precedent. We just add that four cities have already sort of declared this mature minor act. And so Seattle and New York City and in Philadelphia, they have been inviting children without their parents' knowledge to come and get COVID shots. This is tremendously uh, concerning. I mean, this would appear to me, as you've described it, Mary, intentionally designed to deceive parents. Uh, and with this being concealed, I mean, I have to think about, you know, there could be complications. Uh, you know, when you get this, uh, the, the COVID, let's just take the COVID. There's others that this would open the door to. So it's not limited to the COVID shot. But let's say they get the COVID shot. And we already know that there have been um, some health complications for some who have gotten these shots. And a parent doesn't know all of a sudden their child could be deathly ill and they don't know why. Tony, there have been other over 9,000 reported deaths. There have been over 400,000 reported injuries. The COVID shots in particular are very serious medical interventions. But every vaccine, like every drug, carries potential benefits and potential risks. That's why parents have to play a role in these decisions. These are minors. It is inconceivable to me that an 11-year-old can adequately research and understand the potential benefits and risks of a COVID shot. This is nonsense. This is the pharmaceutical industry coming in and exploiting children, uh, you know, at the children's expense and trying to cut parents out of the picture. It's just unacceptable. It's un-American, it's unconstitutional, and it violates federal law. We're really grateful that you filed this lawsuit. I, I think it's in, incredible to me that a, a governing body, in it, which in this case is the school board, right, and the city council, that would, they would think that 11-year-olds could know their medical history sufficiently to, to actually form intelligent consent to any medical procedure, never mind a vaccine. That's it, Meg. This is dangerous. Children can potentially die from this law. That's what parents have to understand. Your child could die from getting four COVID shots to a school, and the kid doesn't know what the shot was. They said, oh, yeah, give me the shot, sure, so our class can get the pizza party. And then the mom or the dad takes the kid to get two more COVID shots. Right. We don't know what that would do. It might be within a short period of time. I just can't bring across enough how dangerous this is and how exploitative this is. Well, and I would add that to add insult to injury here is that they're going to bill the parents health insurer uh, without them even knowing what the service provided was i mean this is incredible it's in, that's the point tony it's incredible we could not believe this as this passed through the city council and then it sat on the mayor's desk and we tried to get people to call into the mayor and there, were, there was hundreds of thousands of, of emails and phone calls, but that didn't move anything. And then it went to Congress and there's a waiting period in Congress and that didn't do anything. So truly we have had no choice. And another organization has also filed a lawsuit. This one is where we absolutely have to take a stand. It is, it, and, and of course, this is specifically going against parents with religious exemptions or conscientious objections to the HPV vaccine, to Gardasil. So it's parents who've already filed their religious exemptions to great extent that they're trying to go around. So this is, of course, also violating constitutional rights to free exercise of religion. It's just a terrible law. In a word, it's a terrible law. And uh, we're proud to be standing together with plaintiffs and with parental rights Mary, we appreciate you joining us, and we're going to watch this uh, very closely, and uh, we'll be getting updates from you, hopefully, so we can keep our listeners informed. This is a, a direct attack, Meg, on parental rights. Yes. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Absolutely. They want, they want to leave the parents out. They're yeah. going deliberately around them. And we, we cannot allow that uh, to occur. All right, folks, I want to encourage you to stay with us. Meg Kilgannon, my co-host today. We're going to be joined next by Sharon Slater, president 
of Family Watch International. We're going to be taking a look at some of these other radical, crazy sex ed policies that are being pushed in classrooms across America. Stay tuned. Don't go away. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. I don't know if any of you heard the conversation with Janet Yellen yesterday. It was probably the scariest thing I've ever heard coming out of a government official, only because it solidified all of my thoughts in reference to our move to a global society. She spoke like a communist globalist praising the work of the Eurozone as we are all coming together in a global union over taxes and other international tax codes and levies. This is her warning to us, if that's what it could be called, and our marching orders to a globalist world. I would advise everybody to listen very closely to this. The sad part about it is we will not see this in the news, in the state-run media. Lots of other things to be concerned about, as she was talking about inflation. If you were to annualize the CPI numbers, consumer price index numbers, inflation numbers, that have come out over the last five months, we'd be sitting at about 10.2% inflation. I think it's a little higher than that, but that's where we would be sitting right now. This is not temporary. This is not something that we shouldn't be concerned about. This is real, and a lot of it is going to be long-lasting. But we are watching as the administration is moving so quickly that we have little time to react. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you on the website, TonyPerkins.com. Meg Kilgannon, senior, uh, senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council, my guest host today. Meg, good to have you with us. It's really great to be here. Well, we're, we're going to turn now to uh, what's happening in classrooms when it comes to uh, sex education. Yes. And, and this is something we talk about a lot. But my take on this, Meg, is that we're seeing an acceleration of this under this administration. Very much so. Very much an acceleration. Um, they, they were, the Obama administration, of course, was very, very uh, progressive on these issues, and the Biden administration has picked up and moved the ball. And, and class will soon Way be in session, this. and this stuff's going to be right in the middle of the classroom. Joining us to talk about this, Sharon Slater. She is the president of Family Watch International. Uh, Sharon, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you. Thank you, Tony and Meg. It's an honor to be with both of you. We're, we're so happy to have you here, Sharon, because you've been working in this field for a while now, and we've had all of this build up over critical race theory, and people are really, really engaged. And this is the sort of energy that we've been trying to to uh, to spur with with the talking about comprehensive sexuality education. So maybe you could explain to us how the two are are a little related, and and what really is comprehensive sexuality education. Well, according to the American College of Pediatricians, comprehensive, comprehensive sexuality education is one of the greatest assaults on the health and innocence of our children. We actually have a full website um, designed to help stop comprehensive sexuality education at stopcse.org. And on that website, you'll find our comprehensive sexuality education analysis tool. It has 15 harmful elements that we've been able to identify. And little known to most parents is under the Obama administration, the U.S. government started spending over $100 million on comprehensive sexuality education, getting it to your children with your tax dollars. And as was just mentioned now under the Biden administration, in fact, just this week, 
the, the House Appropriations Committee just approved $130 million for this radical comprehensive sexuality education, which sexualizes children. We sometimes call it abortion rights, sexual rights, LGBT rights, indoctrination education, or sexualization education. Right. So, so Sharon, let me ask you this question, because just recently up in Washington State, uh, a flyer was passed out to, I think it was fifth graders, um, and the, the school, after the parents found out about it, went into retreat, apologized, and said, oh, it was left over from Planned Parenthood to use to teach a course in here. But who is it that is behind these sex ed programs in our nation's schools? Well, if you go to Planned Parenthood's website, you will find that they actually brag about being the largest provider of comprehensive sexuality education or sex education in the United States. They're sending their teachers that have been trained in the radical gender and sexual rights ideology into the schools. In fact, um, what used to be the Santa Cruz publishing arm of Planned Parenthood is now something called ETR and Associates and they mostly have a monopoly on all the curriculum that is being ordered through the U.S. government. Those who are getting federal grants, part of that $100 million, they're usually getting their programs from ETR and Associates, which peddles all of the Planned Parenthood programs with all the harmful elements that we've talked about. Right, and those, the, the thing that I love about the information on your website is that you really equip parents to examine their own sex ed curricula in their school and you have forms there that they can use to guide them and what, what to look for, how to document things so that when they want to speak out about this, they are completely prepared. Right, you can also click on our USA map and click on your state and you'll get your state profile, you'll see all your um, laws related to parental rights, sex education. You can even click on the chart that tells you what comprehensive sexuality education programs have received federal funding in your state. And I'll just give you an example of a popular federally funded program. It's in my state of Arizona and it's called Making a Difference. And in it, it has a worksheet that says, what is abstinence? How can we express our sexual feelings? And it has this list that the teacher is supposed to elicit from the children. And as part of that list, it'll say holding hands, saying I like you, touching each other's private parts, grinding, and other types of sex. That's what they're teaching children to come up with this list to express their sexuality to each other. And they call that abstinence education. Right. Yeah, they actually call that abstinence education, which is absolutely crazy because it's that's that's what that's comprehensive sexuality education. Right. You know, we don't have time to unpack this uh, because we're up against a break. But but Sharon, I think talking about Planned Parenthood being in the schools teaching the uh, the, the sex ed programs. I mean, they benefit from sexualizing our kids. I mean, that's you know that's what they want. They want to they want a whole population that is engaged in sexual behavior. They benefit from that. Incredible. Well, that's exactly right, because they're going to sell them condoms, contraceptives, abortions. Now Planned Parenthood is even selling cross-sex hormones, and these are, are huge money makers. I mean, that's like 2000 can be up to $2,000 a month, you know, over a lifetime if they continue with that. I mean, this is just unconscionable. It, comprehensive sexuality education is like a marketing plan for Planned Parenthood. And... We would encourage everybody who's uh, listening to this show to become part of the solution to fight this in your state. We have another website called Protect Sharon, Sharon we're going to have to leave it there. We're up against a break. Okay. Thanks for joining us. As always, okay. great to talk to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Folks, stick oh. with us. On the other side of the break, Travis Weber joins us with an update from what's been happening here in our nation's capital this week. Don't go away. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. 
This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the Center's free resources at frc.org worldview. On the next Encouragement Live, we'll talk with Mike Lindell, known as the My Pillow Guy. Mike has a powerful testimony about personal victory over addiction. He's the founder of the Lindell Foundation, a nonprofit that helps addicts by providing treatments and other services. This is Don Hawkins inviting you to join us for a live and lively discussion with Mike Lindell this Saturday, 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here are some of our core values. AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Hi, I'm Matthew West. There is a way to break free from drug addiction, no matter how hopeless things might seem. My life became unmanageable when my mom passed away. That took a real emotional toll on me. The next day I started using methamphetamines again. Started going to the casino and I was feeding two addictions and it got so bad, almost to the point where I lost my kids permanently. What I was trying to do on my own was not working. I could not get sober on my own. And Teen Challenge has done miracles in my life. They got down to my root issues that were driving my addictions, all my defense mechanisms and things that I was using to mask who I was. And since Jesus has come into my life, I don't have to mask who I am anymore. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Adult and Teen Challenge helps people find a life of freedom. If you or a loved one is ready to end addiction, you can call toll-free at 1-855-END-ADDICTION or visit them online at teenchallengeusa.org. You're listening to American Family Radio. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, joined today by Meg Kilgannon, my co-host. Well, how's it, how is it in the co-host seat over there? It's exciting. Yeah. It's fun to be here. Yeah, as long as we keep everything, uh, you know, uh, like in, in the planes, you just keep uh, keep the right side up? Yes. So, all right, we're right side up. A um, lot happening uh, here in Washington, D.C. this week. Actually, a lot happening across the, the around the world. In particular, we haven't had a chance to uh, to focus heavily on it, but the issue of Cuba and what is happening there, my, my hope is to turn to that Monday uh, but one of the things I've been monitoring is I've been getting reports that there have been religious leaders uh, that have been uh, abducted in some cases, uh, others fearful about what is unfolding there. Uh, President Biden, qu uh, quite frankly, the administration, I would have thought, would have spoken out on this. They've been avoiding it. But finally, yesterday, uh, President Biden made at least a, uh, a passing statement when he was asked a question. Uh, here's what he had to say. Communism is a failed system, universally failed system. And uh, I don't see socialism as a very useful substitute, but that's another story. Uh, yeah, that is another story, and I'm sure we're going to have plenty of opportunities to talk about that. But uh, speaking of the religious aspects of this, we, you know, we often see religious leaders targeted, and that was uh, something that was talked about uh, quite prominently this week at the International Religious Freedom Summit uh, here in Washington, D.C. It's, uh, it's uh, religious leaders are often targeted, but also they are uh, tremendous signs of hope in countries that are oppressed. That's why they take them out. And exactly. And so you, you, we've seen footage of people gathering around churches and, 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 uh, you know, demanding their religious freedom. And, and we need to, as Americans, really appreciate the, the, the blessing that right. we have here with our religious liberties and seek that for others. That's right. And that was a, a prominent theme 
uh, this week at the International Religious Freedom Summit that ended last night. Uh, joining us now to talk more about that is Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council and the Director of our Center for Religious Liberty. He wears a lot of hats, uh, Travis Weber. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. Well, let's uh, let's start there. But there's a lot to uh, unpack for this week, and I want to give uh, people some uh, uh, action items, inform them, but uh, what what uh, steps they need to be taking because there's some things that happened yesterday they need to know about and act upon. But let's start there with the International Re Religious Freedom Summit. Uh, your sense of how that went? Hey, Tony, I think it went really well. Um, you know, we heard a lot over the past few days from activists, victims, uh, leaders. Uh, specifically, uh, China was a big point of focus, obviously, um, Nigeria as well, and other issues across the African continent. That was the subject of FRC's side event panel that uh, we ho hosted on Wednesday. Uh, yesterday, um, our lunch uh, focused on China, and we heard from Senator um, Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton, as well as Grace Gao, whose father is imprisoned in China, a Christian human rights attorney imprisoned for his opposition to the regime and speaking up for the defenseless. She hasn't heard from him in four years. And so these are really important stories to be able to bring out so people understand the personal impact of the issue and uh, continue to advocate for religious freedom by letting their elected officials know this is an important issue to them and other Americans and they want our leaders to act on it. The uh, I would say probably a prominent theme that was throughout the summit was that, as Meg was saying a minute ago, you know, we have religious freedom here in the United States, uh, and we have freedom of speech, and we have a responsibility to utilize that to the benefit of others. Absolutely. You know, and, and Tony, this is something that we've talked about. Um, Andrew Brunson, who's a special advisor on this issue to FRC, has mentioned this. Uh, and, and you heard it at the, um, at the summit, Ambassador Brownback, other leaders that I've been in conversations with privately have expressed this. I think we're seeing a renewed interest in addressing the issues domestically because many are recognizing. I know of, of activists and advocates who have exclusively worked on international religious freedom, who are now within the last two years looking at domestic religious liberty, realizing we need to turn our eyes to this because we don't protect it here, we're not going to even have a platform to advocate for it internationally. So I think this is a theme of the summit. We heard it from multiple quarters. It's something that's being talked about more and more privately. And um, I think we're seeing a lot more interest in this um, because, yeah, as you said, without, without protections for it here, we are um, we're going to be at a loss for being able to advocate around the world. Well, let's uh, let's move now domestically because a lot happened on Capitol uh, Hill this week. Uh, in particular, uh, for the first time since uh, since 1993, coming out of the Appropriations Committee was a labor appropriations bill that did not contain the Hyde language, and we got to go back to uh, the Bill Clinton time when that came out of committee. Of course, it didn't uh, survive that on the floor. The language was put on. It's been there since 1976. I mean, we're at a, a very significant turning point in history. We are. And, uh, you know, it's important that people understand that Democrats are making a very concerted effort to remove Hyde, remove Hyde protections, force taxpayers to fund abortions, and basically get more aggressive with their abortion advocacy, all at a time when the trends uh, for life across America are going in the opposite direction. More Americans are pro-life. We're seeing that reflected in politics. We're seeing more bills protecting life at the state level, more leaders willing to protect life. Yesterday in the House Appropriations Committee hearing, Mark and markup on the Labor HHS bill that that uh, you know, which which is the bill that you reference as lacking the Hyde Hyde protections at this point. You had almost all Republicans throughout the course of the day standing up in defense of of Hyde, Andy Harris um, from Maryland, but many others joining him in defending the need for Hyde. Rosa DeLauro, uh, top Democrat, so frustrated by this, she had, had to come in after this and basically <laughs> kind of argue for why she thinks Hyde needs to be stripped and argue for her pro-abortion extremism because she was so caught off guard by the momentum on the life side from Republicans. We know Leader McConnell put out a statement yesterday and, and made remarks on this. So I think uh, what we're seeing is 
trends going in favor of life, the Supreme Court taking up the Dobbs case, hopefully going to give us a ruling, hundred, many, many, many state bills being introduced, hundreds of state bills on the life question. And uh, at the same time, Democrats digging in their heels. And this is reflected in this bill coming out of committee yesterday. It's going to move through the House, along with other appropriations measures, which FRC is tracking and working on cutting um, the, the provisions from them to the degree we can that harm life, harm the family, and harm freedom. And so uh, this is an important milestone for people to be aware of. We're not going to stop and have to continue to, um, to handle these, this on, in Congress as best we can. Well, that's one of the really wonderful things about working at Family Research Council is the just profound commitment to life that's in the organization and the work that you do to keep members of Congress informed. And there's a new resource that we have on fetal dignity. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yes, yeah, so this is a, a resource, as you mentioned, fetal dignity. So what is fetal dignity? It's, it's basically the area of pro-life advocacy that says how do we care for the dignity of the unborn. One area is proper uh, care for fetal remains. We've seen this issue become a problem when, when there's the discussion over uh, the provision of baby body parts to Planned Parenthood. Uh, we, we all know about the David Leiden videos that came to light a few years ago. Uh, Dr. Klopfer in Illinois storing uh, the fetal remains in his garage. I mean, these horrific, grotesque examples of the violation of the dignity of the unborn. So legislatures, and they have been moving at the states, a number of states have protected fetal remains. It's an important area that we need to continue to advocate for. There's bills moving on the hill in this, and people need to know uh, know about this, understand the ethics of fetal tissue research, uh, proper care for fetal remains. That's all in this issue brief, which um, we have up on our website, and among other pro-life resources, is available at frc.org life. Uh, Travis, let me go back to uh, the Hyde Amendment for just a moment because I want people to understand the significance of this moment. You know, f since 1976, Henry Hyde, former uh, congressman from Illinois, now uh, deceased, he brought this forward. This has been middle ground in which, you know, people who were okay with abortion, those who were not, all agreed that no one should be forced to pay for it. And so that's been bipartisan, even President Biden. Uh, supported that position over and over and over again because it's an annual rider that has been routinely voted on. This is the first time it looks like it's going to be advanced. It is not in the president's budget. Uh, there's also uh, conscience protections for uh, medical workers. That's not in uh, the president's budget. So these policy riders that are attached to these spending bills, that's just the way it works here in Washington, D.C., are not there. So people can weigh in on that. They can go to frc.org slash save hide and register their concerns with their uh, members of Congress. How important is it that they do that? It's very important, Tony, because as you say, um, we've been in these fights year in and year out. Usually the status quo is acceptable in some capacity with some, some polishing around the edges. The status quo, though, is that these riders are in this bill, these bills, and uh, that, that means no taxpayer funding for abortion. Dems are trying to up the ante on that this year and uh, remove Hyde, among other, among other uh, revisions to these, this bill and other appropriations bills. Um, so, you know, we look back over years and years of, of accepting a, a, a sort of uh, uh, truce of sorts, you know, a truce, I want to say of sorts, because they will tr the, the Democrats will try to get aggressive around the edges. This is a full frontal attack on, on life, forcing taxpayers to fund it. People need to weigh in, and they can do so. As you mentioned, um, we can go to frcaction.org slash save hide, and um, that will bring them to a page where they can easily communicate with their elected officials and let them know where they stand on life and that taxpayers should not be forced to fund it to fund abortion. This is a fundamental change from, I'm old enough to remember when Democrats used to say things like, we need, abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, right? They weren't necessarily advocating openly for abortion rights or abortion on demand without apology or shouting their abortions like we hear activists doing today. This is a huge change in our culture that I think is represented by the, their willingness to abandon Hyde. It, it is. There's a couple of things at, at play here I think people need to understand. One, someone said, well, you got Nancy Pelosi in charge of the House. The, the Democrats have the majority. you got Joe Biden in the White House. Uh, this is going to go through. No, not really. Now, it will probably go through the House. The vote's going to take place in the House week after next. But that doesn't matter. 
whether or not it's going to happen does not matter should not dictate what we do we need to make sure that the elected officials whether they're going to support Hyde or not know that this is important the majority almost one uh, almost six out of every ten Americans agree we should not be forced to fund abortions so they need to hear that and this is important even for those who defend the Hyde Amendment these uh, these protections so that they know when they're in the majority that this is something they is that is expected of them yes but I'm old enough Meg <laughs> I've been uh, I've been in this political process long enough for a quarter of a century I've been in the political process that sounds like a long time but I remember when the life issue was contentious among the ranks of Republicans right. and so I, I bring that point forward just to say that we've made tremendous progress over the yeah. years to where there's now not a single single open pro-choice Republican in the House of Representatives they're not that's, there that's a, yes we've made tremendous and, and, and as uh, you, you talked uh, Travis about the Dobbs uh, case uh, that is uh, soon to be before the Supreme Supreme Court they're gonna have the oral arguments by the decision uh, next year that could essentially send this whole issue of abortion back to the states and and then we'll have you know probably three-quarters of the states be pro-life and you'll have a few on the edges that uh, will continue in this pro-abortion and people will mo move and vote with their feet uh, I think I think we're seeing a, a huge shift taking place and it's because of the faithfulness and the determination that people have had over the years now is not the time to back up or give up no fully agree you know and if you look at um, the Dobbs we're involved in discussions on the briefing question right now we're gonna be filing an amicus brief in that case and um, uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of energy about uh, the opportunity to protect life and roll back abortion with this Supreme Court case um, that, as you noted, being reflected in the states when they're given opportunities to actually ha pass these pro-life laws. I mean, we're seeing pro-life laws advance in the states and being passed in a law now. You look at the full abortion bans most recently in Arkansas that protect life at all stages. And <laughs> people and their elected leaders are fed up with waiting and and uh, being mealy-mouthed about protecting life we need to protect it they're doing that and they're not waiting for the courts to to come along they're they're showing where the voice of the people is either we're going to continue to see this and we're going to continue to see it as we look towards the Dobbs decision and uh, given the pro-life momentum that's driving things around the country well, Travis, thanks so much for uh, being with us appreciate all that you and your team do on uh, Capitol Hunt it's been a busy week but Guess what? Next week will be busy, too. <laughs> It'll be busy. Thank you. All right. Travis Weber, Vice President of uh, Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. And again, you go to frc.org slash save hide, and uh, you'll be taken to a, play, a, a point where you can get the information to contact your member of Congress, and you can uh, tell them where you stand on this issue, and it's very important that they hear from you. If you miss that, just go to TonyPerkins.org. Uh, what's coming up education what are we gonna be looking for to next for next week we're going to be tracking anything happening in the Department of Education what's going on in the states what's going on on local school boards and hopefully our school board boot camp video will be ready on the website for people to download we really are excited All to have right. that happen well we'll keep folks uh, updated on that Meg Kilgannon great to have you along today as the co-host it was a lot of fun Tony thanks for having me all right and folks it was great to have you along as well hope you have a great weekend and until next time I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6 where he says when you've done everything you can do when you've prayed prepared taken your stand by all means keep standing Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.
372-7234.